some of the passages we've read lately have been brief. Jesus gets right to the nub of an issue and covers it briefly, but he gives an extended treatment of our view of possessions in Luke 12. And we're going to read Luke 12, verses 13 through 48. A passage that's broad enough and and long enough that I'll only be able to make in the sermon general reflections on it as a whole, and only here and there a particular comment about a specific part of it. Luke 12, 13 to 48. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool! This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what ye shall eat, neither for the body what ye shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you with taking thought can add to his stature one cubit? If ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not, and yet I say unto you, that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothe the grass which is today in the field, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind, for all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things." But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that ye have and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let your loins be girded about, and your lights burning, and ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet, and will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch, or come in the third watch, and find them so, 
Blessed are those servants. And this know, that if the good man of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. Then Peter said unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us, or even to all? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household, to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But and if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men's servants and maidens, and to eat and drink and to be drunken, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant, which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. We read the word of God this far. We take also the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 42 this morning as the basis for our sermon, inasmuch as it is an explanation of the Eighth Commandment, Thou shalt not steal. What doth God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? God forbids not only those thefts and robberies which are punishable by the magistrate, but he comprehends under the name of theft all wicked tricks and devices whereby we design to appropriate to ourselves the goods which belong to our neighbor, whether it be by force or under the appearance of right, as by unjust weights, ells, measures, fraudulent merchandise, false coins, usury, or by any other way forbidden by God, as also all covetousness, all abuse and waste of his gifts. But what doth God require in this commandment? that I promote the advantage of my neighbor in every instance I can or may, and deal with him as I desire to be dealt with by others. Further also that I faithfully labor, so that I may be able to relieve the needy. The lesson this morning, beloved saints, in the school of the law, regards how to use, and even how to obtain, and more to the heart of the matter, how to view our possessions. It is a necessary lesson not only because, once again, the lessons we learn in the school of the law will be diametrically opposed to the lessons we would learn in the school of the world, and not only because, once again, our own nature is inclined to think the way the world thinks inasmuch as we are corrupt and fallen apart from grace. But it is also an important lesson because it remains my tendency as a regenerated child of God to say 
my possessions are mine. I may not use them in a way that hurts the neighbor. I understand that. And I do well to support the causes of the kingdom and to give to God that which is his. I understand that. But having failed to hurt the neighbor, omitted to hurt the neighbor, and having brought to God a portion of what he's given me, what I have left is mine. Who are you to tell me what to do with them? Why does God care how I use them? Ought this not be a matter you stay out of in my life and then I will stay out of it in yours? That's our attitude. That's a thought that comes to us very quickly. And if I were to give just a brief answer to that now, one that we'll expand on a little more in the first point of the sermon, the answer is, oh no, what you have is not yours, it's all God's. And because it's all God's, he gets it all. That doesn't mean we come to church and we put it all in the collection plate that we look at other kingdom causes that are worthy of our support and we give all, 100% of our income to those. That doesn't mean that, no, nor is that what God requires of us, but that we understand that 100% of what we own is His. With it we may eat. With it we may clothe ourselves. With it we may provide for other bodily necessities, transportation. With it we send our children to Christian schools, with it also we support and help the needy and others, but not one penny of it is mine. Just to do with as I please, it is all God's. He's my master. He gave me all that I have only for a time. He said every penny that you and I have is to use in His service. And then He said there comes a time when I'm going to return and I'm going to ask you how you used it. And there you can see the analogy to what we're taught in the Eighth Commandment and the principles in that Eighth Commandment as well as to that parable that our Lord spoke in verses 36 and following. Ye yourselves... Be like unto men that wait for their Lord. Wait for their Lord to give an account of what they've done in his absence. It goes without saying that only Jesus Christ, the chief prophet, would teach that all is God's. It goes without saying that only in the school of the law in which Christ is the master will we learn this lesson. It is striking that in the Gospels, Jesus says very little about stealing. But probably that recognized that even the Jews understood, as people do today, that stealing is wrong. Especially when you steal from me, that's wrong. Or if I steal from somebody else in such a way that all of society is negatively affected, that's wrong. The human understands that. But what Jesus does at length in the Gospels is warn against covetousness and earthly-mindedness and selfishness 
And that also you and I need to remember this morning is wrong. I call your attention to this under the theme, the right use of our possessions. Notice first, obtaining them lawfully. Secondly, using them in love and hope. And third, being content with what God gives. The right use of our possessions begins with the right and lawful obtaining of them. The scriptures speak to the right and lawful obtaining of them. Work, said the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4.28, let him that stole now be busy working so that he doesn't have to steal again. And the apostle to the Thessalonians, in both of his epistles, you are to work in part to provide for your own needs. When Jesus said to the disciples, don't you remember that God clothes the lilies and that he provides for the birds of the air? He meant to say to them, so be on doing the work you're called to do and trust that in that way God will give you, you will obtain what possessions you need. And certainly the right obtaining of possessions is at the heart of the ninth commandment. Thou shalt not steal. And therefore everyone wonders, how then do I obtain? If not by stealing, what is the right way? The answer is set forth in the scriptures. And they begin, or it begins, with the principles that I began to spell out in the introduction. The psalmist himself said in Psalm 50, actually it was Jehovah speaking through the psalmist, everything in this world is mine. By virtue of having created all things, Jehovah lays claim to all, the cattle on a thousand hills, says Psalm 50, but then the penny. the penny that I keep wherever or almost ignore because it's only a penny, and the money that I have hidden somewhere, and that which I have invested perhaps in an IRA or some other stocks and bonds because later they will serve me well, it is his. The second principle that underlies the right obtaining of possessions is that Jehovah who owns all gives to every human a portion. We're not limiting now the gifts of Jehovah just to his people. Only his children can rightly use them. Only we can understand that they have come from Jehovah God. But in fact, Jehovah gives also to the ungodly unbeliever. We understand that. Jehovah in giving gives to one much and to another a little. To one, he has far more than he could use. And what he has just grows numerically, sometimes exponentially, and yet another has just little. And all he has, he uses up today. And tomorrow he's given just a little again. And what he has and needs for tomorrow, he uses up in a day. This is according to our Lord's wise and sovereign bestowment says Jesus in verse 42 of the chapter we read, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season? 
with reference there to one who has great responsibility and to whom is entrusted much, the principle still remains, whether we have much or little, our Lord has given us possessions to rule over and to use. The third principle is that what Jehovah has given us, whether it is much or little, is enough. It's all I need. And at the moment, I'm not defining need so narrowly as if to say I have but a loaf of bread, and for today I say that's all my body needs. Of course, there have been children of God, and it might be you or me someday in persecution times who says that and confesses it. But I don't just mean that right now. He gives us what we need, not only for the body, but what we need to serve Him. And that's where His gift to His children is different from His gift to the ungodly wicked. They might have far much more than we, but they do not have the gifts of Jehovah with which to serve Him. And everything Jehovah's given to you and to me, He's given us because with it we serve Him in a specific place in His kingdom. And therefore, if I ever think that I have not enough, and I'm tempted to steal, at bottom what I'm doing is saying of my Savior and my Lord, He didn't know what He was doing when He distributed all things. He doesn't realize that actually my needs are much greater. And when by stealing I try to obtain, what I'm really saying to him is, he doesn't realize that I have a right to what I want so that I can use what I have and what I want for me. And of course, he does not realize that because it isn't true. All of this underlies the, sub, the Eighth Commandment and especially now the right obtaining of possessions. What can we say then about the way in which a man can obtain? In the first place, work. Work in your and my mind conjures up a job that I have and some hours of service I give to an employer at the end of which he gives me a paycheck. Of course, work didn't always go that way. That's a, a rather Western civilization idea of economics. To Adam and to Eve, who weren't going to get a paycheck, who didn't have an employer to work for, God had said, but I'm your employer, go work. Cultivate the fields, that's how you'll eat. And so whether I have a job working for another or whether I am to find my own way of busying myself, the Lord says, go be busy in things productive and trust that in that way I will give you what you need. In addition to work, the scriptures make clear that we receive lawfully when we are given gifts. Certainly the point of the scriptures here is not to encourage us to go seeking gifts, to go asking for gifts, but nonetheless to recognize that there are times when somebody gives me something freely, not that I earned it, 
And that's the Lord saying, this is meant to be for me or you. Every housewife and every child understands that though he or she does not work in, in a way that will earn income, yet the husband and the head of the home gives and shares what he has with his, husband, with his wife and with his children. Or those who find that their busy industry does not sufficiently provide for the needs of their family, seek the church's gifts through the diaconate. And the Lord himself demonstrated that even when it's a gift, it came from him. When he said to Israel in the wilderness, you're neither to work in a productive way, you simply have to be concerned about traveling through the wilderness now, and you aren't going to get gifts from each other because no one of you has more than the other, but I will give you manna every day, and I will see to it that your clothes do not fail. Our possessions come from God. Therefore, thou shalt not steal. What a temptation stealing is. In the first place, because instead of working, toiling, laboring, I can get it easily. And in the second place, because instead of working today and not getting my paycheck for two weeks, I can steal and have now. Really, when Satan came to Eve, tempting her to eat of the forbidden fruit, a form of stealing in its own right, saying to Eve, God said you may have it, but I'm going to let you take it. What he did was say, you need happiness now. And Eve said, I need happiness now. And it will come in a thing. And that's the same temptation that comes to us when we're tempted to steal. Whether it be a child in a store looking at candy and sneaking that candy in his pocket when mom or dad aren't looking. Whether it be an adult selling a used car for a price that's far beyond what the car is worth or somebody else on the on marketplace selling a product for more than it's worth, whether it be a businessman engaged in shady business dealings, it all comes down to, I can have more now, easy, easily. And so we're tempted to steal. The Catechism turns our attention to the ways in which the Ninth Commandment, the Eighth Commandment applies. You noticed it used all kinds of words that might be less familiar to you. You even noticed that it expanded a bit in a way that it didn't on the Seventh Commandment. With the Seventh, it simply set forth a principle, and I guess we could be thankful too. It didn't list all the ways one might sin against the Seventh Commandment but it gets into some detail in the eighth. Once again, underscoring how prevalent the sin of stealing is and how easily it's committed 
in a sneaky way. Catechism begins by saying that God forbids those thefts and robberies which are punishable by the magistrate. That is, any obvious stealing, which if you were to commit, somebody would say, I'm going to call the policeman. The policeman would bring you to jail. The jail would present you to the judge. The judge would find you guilty, and you would have more jail time. Whether they are thefts, more sneaky, maybe I broke into somebody's house when they were gone, or robberies, more by force. Maybe I held a gun to somebody and said, give me your purse. God clearly forbids those things. But all the wicked tricks. It's the wicked tricks that the catechism expands on at length. Because so often they appear under the appearance of right. And so the catechism refers to unjust business practices. The selling of either something by weight, unjust weights, or volume, unjust measures, or length, unjust L's, referring to a length of, of, cloth, of, of cloth from which a woman would make a dress or make clothing. And every businessman has understood, whether he does it or not, he understands the concept, that if I can sell you 35 inches of cloth, but say they are 36, and charge you for 36, if I can sell you four and three quarters pounds of sugar, but tell you it's five and charge you for five, that in a sneaky way, every sale I make, I'm getting ahead just a little. It's not so obvious somebody's going to catch it quickly. But it is to my advantage. And then the catechism refers to fraudulent merchandise, something that I say is worth so much, it can do what I say it can do, but it can't. And until you buy it and take it home, you won't know that. False coins, counterfeit money, usury, high rate of interest, or any other way forbidden by God. Even when the catechism gets specific and gives a list, it makes clear this is not exhaustive. Any other way forbidden by God. It requires you and me to examine ourselves, asking what our view of our possessions is, what our view of the world's goods is, whether this time of the year especially we're tainted with the materialistic tendency that the world has, and then what would I do to get what I want? Each of us is to examine ourselves with that question in mind. Would I shoplift? Would I take money out of mom's purse when she isn't looking? Would I borrow, I say borrow, would I take something from my boss, which he bought, and which I was free to use at work in his service, but now I'm going to take it home and use it not in his service, but for my advantage. What would I do to steal? Would I hold back from God what he says is his? The first part, regardless of what percentage I'm going to put on that part, for in the New Testament there is no percentage assigned. Would I hold back from God 
Would I say I don't have enough to support the causes of the kingdom? Or would I do the same to my civil government and cheat on my taxes? All of this is forbidden because it manifests a hatred for the neighbor and for the God who gave my possessions. And so to turn in the second place positively, there is a principle embedded in the ninth commandment, thou shalt not implies a thou shalt. And in the case of the thou shalt, we can't list a hundred do's and do's and do's and do's, nor need we. There's a principle set forth again, and the principle's rather broad. Use them in love for God and in love for the neighbor, and use them in hope of a coming judgment and a coming day. That principle is set forth in answer 111 of the Heidelberg Catechism. But what doth God require in this commandment? That I promote the advantage of my neighbor in every instance I can or may and deal with him as I desire to be dealt with by others. You recognize there the summary of Matthew 7, verse 12, what is known as the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That I promote the advantage of my neighbor in every instance I can means that it is my desire. I'm on the lookout for knowing how I can help you with my possessions as opposed to how I can get from you more for me. That I do so in every instance I may presupposes that there might be an opportunity where I can, I could do something, but it would be unlawful, and therefore I will not do that for you either, steal from Sam, but to pay, or steal from Peter to pay Paul. And say, but I gained no benefit, and yet still I have stolen, and therefore I may not. The golden rule. And so, first of all, to spell this out, the positive is that we use them in love for God and the neighbor. Do you wake up in the morning conscious of the need today again to serve your Savior, conscious again of the calling that never ends to love Him with our whole being, and say, how can I do that with my car? with my food, with my house, with my money. What can I do for the good of the church, kingdom, and covenant of God with my possessions? But then, because my love for the neighbor is to show itself in all that I do, you understand How instead of looking to gain from him, this leads me to say, but I'll give to you. You have this need right now. You're not poor. You could probably take care of that need some other time, some other way. But you have this need right now. And I'm here right now. You're at my doorstep hungry. I have food. You're at my doorstep cold. And you have a coat somewhere else, but you're cold now. I have a coat, 
I deal with my neighbor in every instance I can or may to seek his well-being. Now, having set forth a positive principle when it comes to love for God and the neighbor, let's drive home other sins against the commandment that are becoming more and more popular in society, certainly, and maybe even in our minds are acceptable, but they are not, because they do not manifest love for God and the neighbor. I refer, in the first place, to waste. The Catechism speaks of waste also, all abuse and waste of his gifts, which includes waste of material goods. Only rich people in a rich society would say, I have this food on my plate, but it's more than I need, so I'm going to throw it into the trash can. Poor people in a poor society would say, rarely do I have more food on my plate than I could use, and if so, I will keep it for tonight or tomorrow. And so to you and to me in our society comes the reminder that waste is not loving God with the gifts he's given us. That it's not good stewardship. That I cannot stand before God in the day of Christ's return and say I've dealt well with what he's given when I threw it away. In the second place, let's touch on the subject of gambling. Whether it's as little a matter, little in our minds, as buying a lotto ticket, or as big a matter as spending an afternoon in a casino somewhere down the highway, the, ninth, the Eighth Commandment forbids such. And the argument why it's wrong can't be that this verse in this chapter of this book of the Bible expressly says it, but very much the reason why it's wrong is that in that way we do not show that we're serving God with our possessions. We may use them to obtain, I give you money or I give the store owner money to get my food and to get my clothing, but when I just give money without return, without something in return back, then I'm not being a good steward of what God has given. Here too, Satan and men filled with his mentality prey on the poor and say, just put a little dollar, another dollar in here and another dollar in there because it may be that you will get rich. This is what you've been wanting all along. The child of God says, I'm going to stand before my Savior Jesus Christ one day and give answer to him for every dollar I spent. I cannot, in good conscience, say to him, Son, I just threw away. It's for the same reason that I am to use my possessions in love for God and my neighbor, that I am not going to be concerned to sue my neighbor 
I didn't say there would never be a just lawsuit. But I'm not going to be concerned to sue my neighbor to come out ahead financially. I'm never going to be frivolous with him or with her. I'm looking out for his or her well-being. That's the first half now of my second point. Love for God and the neighbor. When I come in the second part of the second point to hope, I'm emphasizing even more the point that's underscored in the parable Jesus spoke, that there comes a day when our Lord returns and he calls his servants before him and has each one of us answer to him for how we used our possessions. Verses 36 and following, that parable is set forth and the explanation of it to Peter and the 12 and verses 42 and following. And here are a couple of essential characteristics of the answer Jesus gives. In the first place, the Lord will come again. It were one thing if I have no concept of the coming again of Jesus Christ, then let me use my possessions for myself as the world will teach me. But when I know that I'm going to stand before him and give answer for what I've done with what he gave me, that tempers the way I use my possessions. Second place, my hope is also that when he comes again, he'll bring me to heaven. There is the reward of grace. Now there's a wrong way of relating the hope of the judgment and the reward of grace to our use of our possessions and even to all of the Christian life. And that wrong way I'll just briefly point out so that we're on our guard against it. The wrong way, of course, would be that of saying, by my obedience I earn, but good Reformed people have already dismissed that notion. Another is that in some way my outcome is more favorable when I stand before Jesus and say, I did this, I did this, I did this. So we dismiss that idea too. But very simply, this. That Lord who gave me all things and is going to come again one day to take account for all things is the Lord who laid down his life for me on the cross. Sinner that I am and that you are, deserving to be cast into hell, he said, but I'm going to buy him or her back for me. And having died on the cross and made full atonement for our sins, he has already earned heaven and all its fullness and all its riches for you and for me. And now he says, I'm going to give him and I'm going to give her so much because how he or she uses this on earth in the service of Jesus Christ, is going to prepare him or her for the place he will have, she will have, in heaven. It's not that my works now influence or affect the place I get in heaven, change the mind of God regarding what my reward of grace will be, but rather all now is preparation for glory. So much so that not in Luke 12, but in a related parable elsewhere, Jesus speaks of one who is faithful in little, 
being given much over which to be faithful. But one who isn't faithful even in much cannot be trusted with little. So live in hope. Live in hope that Jesus Christ is coming, that standing before him you will Remember, as will I, the ways in which we've sinned. We will reckon with the fact that we are not deserving of heaven, but we will also hear him say to us, but your sins are forgiven, and there's a place in glory for you. And let that hope govern the way you and I use our possessions. We still haven't got to the heart of it, The heart is to be content with what God gives. Answer 110 concludes this way, as also what is forbidden in the Eighth Commandment is all covetousness. Explained positively in the 111th, the promotion of the advantage of my neighbor in every instance I can or may proceeds from contentment with what God gives has given. You know what contentment is? Contentment is saying, I have enough. It might be, and it is from the viewpoint of the Eighth Commandment, saying I have enough with regard to things. But in so many other ways, contentment must manifest itself in our life. My place in the church and covenant is enough. My opportunities to serve one another and to serve God are enough. In other words, contentment is not limited to our use of our possessions and view of them. But with that in mind, with regard to what I have, I say it is enough. The rich fool, of whom we read in the opening verses of the scripture lesson this morning, was not content. He had much. He had enough. He had more than enough. But he was not content, and rather he sought happiness in things. So he was going to store up, lay up more and more and more, and suggested to his soul that in those things he would find true delights and joys of life. And the answer of the Lord to him was very simple. Try that. Make your plans. But you forgot to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Your life does not consist in the abundance of the things that you possess. Some of the poorer people of God have been far happier and content than those who are wealthy. Contentment. I have enough. Now that's an attitude of heart. It doesn't lead one to say, so I can be lazy. It doesn't lead one to say, I'm not going to work hard. There's no need to be diligent. It doesn't lead one to say, God's going to give me somehow. He promised he would, so I'm not going to use the means that he provided of industry. No, That's not contentment. That's laziness or tempting God 
But contentment says, I went to work today, and I did work as best I could. And I came home, and the Lord noted that I worked, and he provided for my needs, and I have enough. As I sit at my dinner table at night, with my wife and children around it, or maybe the grandchildren, I say, these are the greatest joys in life, not how much money I have. When this is the attitude of our heart, we will not steal. When this is the attitude of our heart, we will look forward to the day of judgment, not as if we will be exonerated and said that we never sin. We know our weaknesses and shortcomings, but we will say, I can stand before my Lord and I can tell him how I've used the money he's given me. When this is our attitude, we will give alms. Sell that ye have and give alms, said Jesus, verse 33. And his point really is, put the kingdom of heaven first. When we're content, we will do that and seek heavenly treasures and not earthly. As our following the Lord, the, following the example of our Lord and Savior himself, who as our chief prophet set an example, the birds have nests and the animals of the earth have dens, but he had not where to lay his head yet giving himself over to the work of his heavenly Father, never lacked bodily. You see why we need this lesson again today? It isn't just that the world has a different view of possessions and a different view of how to obtain and a different view of how to use possessions. The world has a different heart mentality, covetousness, more, better, Bigger, and the child of God, who is content, says, little, little is fine. For the child of God says, my real happiness, which will never be found in things, is found in this. I know my Savior's love. I know his faithfulness. I know he never fails. I can pray today, give us this day our daily bread. And if he gives me just enough for today, I can praise him and thank him. And if at the end of the day, I had just enough for the day and have nothing else, I can go to sleep without anxiety and without worry because tomorrow he promised if I live, he will see that my needs are cared for tomorrow. True happiness. Not how much I have, but who I have. The spiritual joys and blessings he gives me in Christ the confidence that being regenerated by his spirit, I am using all that I have in his service. Amen. Father which art in heaven, we pray.
that thou wilt give us to taste this true happiness, to have contentment in our hearts and souls, that thou wilt give us also not to fear the future, not to be anxious about earthly things. And when we do experience anxiety about the future and about earthly matters, that we go to thee in prayer and leave our anxieties with thee. For thou art the God who knows our need and cares for us. Forgive now our sins and hear us for Jesus' sake. Amen.